looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Ronnie. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Duoskin. Great to have you back for another amazing episode. Today, we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of the movie Taps. Taps was released on December 20th, 1981. So exactly 40 years today, if you're listening to this episode on the day it was released, Taps starring George C. Scott and Timothy Hutton made its way to the theaters. The movie was based on a book called Father Sky by Devery Freeman. It was a story of military cadets taking extreme measures when they learn their academy is sold to a local condo developer. Then the young cadets seize the campus, guns and all, and confront the military as they take a stand to protect their home. Starred George C. Scott and Timothy Hutton, and also starred Ronnie Cox and newcomers, newcomers, mind you, Sean Penn, Tom Cruise, Evan Handler, Giancarlo Esposito, and my guest today, who played Bug in Taps, friend of the show, Billy Van Zant returns for behind-the-scenes oral history of Taps. This is the movie that launched Sean Penn and Tom Cruise to superstardom, and Billy Van Zant was there the whole time. He's got stories to tell as we celebrate the 40th anniversary of the movie Taps, and that interview is coming up in just a few minutes. After this episode, if you need more Billy in your life, head over to episode 73, where we did a similar deep dive, but of the movie Jaws 2 that Billy Van Zant starred in. And if that isn't enough, Billy was also in episode 28, where we discussed his book, Get in the Car, Jane, Adventures in the TV Wasteland. Billy Van Zant has a million stories to tell, and we've captured a lot of them. Here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. Speaking of great stories, got lots of amazing feedback on episode 86 with D. Wallace, star of E.T., Cujo, The Howling, and the author of the book, Born. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Hope you're enjoying the Crossing the Streams bonus episodes on Thursday. It's turning out even episodes are interview episodes and the odd episode numbers are crossing the stream bonus episodes every Thursday. We pull segments from our live show that we do every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time called Crossing the Streams, where we answer the question that you're always asking yourself, what should I be watching on TV now? We're here for you. Tune in, listen up, got you covered. I am excited the new Spider-Man movie's out. No spoilers here. I did see it. It was amazing. And you know what else was amazing? My conversation with Nicholas Hammond, episode 84, if you want to look it up. That's right, 1977's Amazing Spider-Man. The original Peter Parker slash Spider-Man combo was on live from Detroit. The Jeff Dwoskin Show shared so many incredible stories. Definitely check out that episode as well. So much for you to do. I envy you. (laughs) And now it's time for the social media tip. 
All right, this is the part of the show where I share a little bit of my social media knowledge with you. A little 411 I picked up on the street. I've been pretty heavy in the social media world for a long, long time. And like a rising tide, I'd like all of our social games to improve together. Today's tip I kind of alluded to for a second. I got two quick things for you. One, don't post spoilers on social media. Spider-Man's a good example. There's some huge things that happen in that movie that if you know, it kind of dampers it a bit. Nobody's interested in you breaking the news of something. Let everyone enjoy everything how it's meant to be enjoyed. All it will do is bring anger and frustration upon you from everyone on Twitter or whatever social platform you happen to ruin someone's experience on. So just don't do it. On a more positive note, those of you who post video, there's good news on Twitter. Twitter, moving forward with anything posted, will auto-caption everything that's on there, which is great news. That way, you can look at the video sound off, which is something that you weren't able to do before, unless you added your own captions, but now they've made it even easier by auto-captioning everything for you. So that's really cool and convenient and super helpful for everyone who needs to be able to enjoy it. Put those in your back pocket and rest assured that that's a social media tip. I do want to do a quick shout out to my friend, Christine Blackburn, host of the podcast Story Worthy. She was guest on episode 75 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin show. It's an awesome episode. If you happen to miss it, definitely go check it out. And if you can't get enough Jeff and Christine banter, I am guesting on her podcast, Story Worthy, as you hear this. So head over to Story Worthy. If you can't get enough Jeff Dewaskin, I share some cool stories that I don't really talk about on this podcast that I talked about with her. So I hope you enjoy that. I do want to thank everyone in advance for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. And that's how we keep the lights on. Today's interview sponsor, Valley Forge Used Car Emporium. Looking for a car that's out of your league, but used and affordable? Well, cruise on over to Valley Forge Used Car Emporium, where we have the latest in used Bentleys, Ferraris, and Aston Martins. They barely run, but you'll pull up in style to any event. You'll be able to look the FLA right in the eye, give them a wink, and go, I know. Full line of cars available online at Valley Forge Used Car Emporium.com. Use the code CRUISE for 40% off your first car. All right, well, that sounds like a really great deal. And also sounds like the perfect time to segue over to my interview with Billy Van Zant as we celebrate the 40th anniversary of TAPS. Enjoy. All right, everyone. I am so excited to reintroduce you to my next guest, Billy Van Zant. Three times on the show. That's a record, Billy. I'm a regular now. You're a regular on the show. Those of you who uh, previously loved Billy in episode 28, where we talked about his book, Get in the Car, Jane, Adventures in the TV Wasteland. Plenty of stories there for you to check out. Martin Newhart and so many other TV shows. And then episode 73, we went deep into Jaws 2. Billy starred in Jaws 2, an entire oral history of that movie. So cool. So we thought, what else could we do? What else could we do? Billy, you were bug in taps. I was 40 years ago. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. It was 40 years ago. I know. I know. It's uh, it's crazy. Taps came out December 20th, 1981. It starred so many 
young actors who are now like really big names and became big names. And we'll talk about all those, I'm sure. But was Taps your final film role, movie role? No, uh, in uh, I don't know, about 10 years ago, Jane Milmar and I wrote, co-wrote a, a movie called Awake in Providence uh, that did all the, uh, the film festivals. And we, we were in that and we, we wrote that and it, it, that was fun. Basically, I, after, after Taps, I ended up in television writing and I've spent a uh, hundred years doing that, 40 years, I guess, doing that and doing my plays. Yeah, I was supposed to do, I'll get into this later, but I was supposed to do a movie called At Close Range, which I think was 1983, 84. And uh, that sort of went away, but I'll, I'll tell you a story about that later on. Excellent, excellent. So Jaws 2, first movie. We don't have to go into that because we did that. We talked deep. <laughs> we talked so much yeah, about that. We did. Everyone we can did. check out episode 73 for an enjoyable episode on Jaws 2. And then Star Trek The Motion Picture, which we talked yep. a little bit about in, in the first time we talked. And then Taps. How did you land the role of Taps? What did, how did that come to be? The same casting director who did Jaws 2, Shirley Rich, and she brought me in for Taps. I was living in New Jersey and commuting up to New York for a whole bunch of auditions for Broadway and all that sort of thing. And this is just another audition. I met with uh, Harold Becker, the director, who had um, also done The Last Detail and Cinderella Liberty. Nope, excuse me, that's the, that's the author of the thing. Harold Becker did Sea of Love with Al Pacino and uh, blanking on every other. Malice, City Hall, Vision Quest. There you go. Thank you. You're welcome. He was a great guy. Really, I liked him the second I met him. And Shirley Rich, as a casting director, made it very easy for all actors. She made you so confident and so calm. I've worked with casting directors that do the opposite. They try and sort of keep you on your toes, because if you can get through this, you can get through anything. She didn't work that way. She said, it's my job to make to showcase you. And she did her best and do that. And she'd walk you to the elevator after each audition and talk about how you did and all that. And I think I went back twice for that. And then they get, I got cast and off to Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, to the Valley Forge Military Academy, renamed Bunker Hill Academy in our movie. And we did four weeks of rehearsal, uh, which is very uncommon now. But we did four weeks of, during the day, all of us cadets in the, in the movie. It's about, people don't know, it's military, military cadets taking over their academy by force when a, uh, a local condo association wants to buy the property and shut them down. And it's sort of a Lord of the Flies uh, thing. It's basically a movie about humanity, really. It's, uh, it's based on a book called Father Sky. This is where this is where the last detail in Cinderella Liberty come in. The Daryl Ponixon, who wrote the movie, wrote those two movies as well. And I will say the script was fantastic to the point where nothing was changed during the shoot. Everything you saw on screen was on the page. There weren't any big improvs or any of that. It was all scripted and it was quite a quite a good script. But for four weeks we spent at the academy, learning to be cadets. They took us through marching, all the all the rifle drills, to the shooting range. We had to learn to march for the uh, parade every Sunday that the school did for all the parents and the neighbors and all that stuff. We had to blend in. We were just other cadets. And it was a lot of work. And the cadets hated us <laughs> because then that night we would go back to wherever it was, the Holiday Inn or whatever it was. And they had these very uncomfortable dorms that they had to sleep in. And we attempted to do that. Uh, they put us in the dorms one night. And I think it was Tom Cruise. No, it couldn't have been him. 
must have been Tim Hutton, who said, I'm not doing this. I'm going to be back to the hotel. The idea was we were going to spend four weeks in the dorms and nobody wanted to do it. So we went back to the hotel, which became our hotel. They don't care who else was staying in that place. It was our hotel and we sort of ruined, <laughs> ruined the place for everybody else. There were a lot of pranks going on, tying people's doorknobs across the hall to each other so they couldn't get out of their room, that kind of stuff. They're all Everybody was in their early 20s, I guess, and we all acted pretty stupid. But of the rehearsal process... You would train during the day until about, I would say, three o'clock. And then we would rehearse the scenes from the script. What happened over the course of those four weeks is the director and the producers started looking at a couple of the actors and went, we got to make some changes here. So the original, the role that Brendan Ward played, Charlie, the, uh, the real young kid, was originally Anthony Michael Hall. Really? He was great in rehearsal. Vacation still one of my favorite movies. But anyway, they replaced him. Nobody knew why, because as far as we were concerned, he didn't do anything wrong. But I think Brendan Ward had much more of an innocence to him, and uh, Anthony Michael Hall had a bit of an edge. And you needed the kid to be really, really innocent. So they replaced him. And then about, I would say, only maybe four or five days before we started shooting, Tom Cruise had a very small part. He was the assistant, basically, to Donald Kimmel. And there was just something... Not working there. Very good actor, Don Kimmel. Louisville and all this. He, he's done, had very good credits. They decided to swap the roles. And uh, God loved Donald Kimmel. He took the smaller role and, and was a champ about it. And Tom was elevated up to uh, the role of Sean that he ended up playing in the film. And prior to our movie, he had only done uh, one scene in Endless Love, which was a Brooke Shields movie. So he really didn't have a lot of experience. I know he, he was in Guys and Dolls in high school or something like that. I remember that. So they swapped roles, and it was a very good switch. Because when you watched Tom work, you saw he was headed places. And I remember when he filmed the final big scene, I was up, I forget where we were, but we, a couple of us were hidden up on top of the set somewhere so we could look down and watch this thing. And you, once you saw that scene live, you knew Tom Cruise is the name you're going to hear. Well, we had fun. And we had a, we had a, it was fun. We think we shot for four months, something like that. Well, I had read that it was actually Tom Cruise that opted out of staying at the dorms to move back to the hotel. I don't think that's going to be true. That's I don't not think true. He, was too, he was too unknown and he didn't have any clout. Okay. So maybe Timothy Hutton. Sean would have wanted to stay in. Sean Penn was very, uh, very method. And it was catered to by everybody except me, basically. <laughs> he would insist everybody get together in the hotel at night and uh, and do improv scenes that weren't in the script. I was like, I said, I said, come here, I'm not doing this. I said, this is not the way I work. I learn my lines, I show up, and I do the thing. I'm not going to improv at night for no reason. Once I said no to him, uh, <laughs> we instantly got along fine. Tim Hutton was the star. Let me ask about Sean Penn. So sh this was Sean yeah. Penn's very first movie. Yes. And so he immediately then had the reputation of the method approach right from oh, yeah. the get-go. Yeah. He was, he had done, I can't remember which play it was. He had just done a Broadway or an off-Broadway show, and then he got cast in this. And uh, he'd been in, around show business, his father, very famous director, Leo Penn. But the second Tom got there, I mean, Sean got there, everybody sort of like, oh, you know, leave him alone. He's in character, that kind of thing. What was funny to me is... Tom was so innocent that he ended up working the way Sean wanted to because he had no choice and didn't know enough to say yes or no. They were supposed to hate each other in the film. 
And Sean would go out of his way to antagonize the crap out of Tom in scenes that, Tom, that Sean wasn't even in. He would show up on the set and stand behind the camera and give him the finger while Tom's trying to do something emotional, you know, just to piss him off so that when they finally had their scene together, Tom would really be pissed off. And it was funny to me because he went out of his way to do that. And even in one of my scenes, Sean stood behind the camera to feed me my lines. And he didn't do the scripted lines. He asked me about my family and how I miss them and all this stuff. So I would supposedly, I guess, get emotional or something. And uh, I ended up answering the questions he was asking and not the lines in the script. And it made no sense. So we had to shoot it again. It was really fun watching the different styles, really. Tim Hutton saved everything for his close-up. That was where he did his real acting. Sean was in character 24 hours a day. And Tom was sort of wandering around trying to find his way. We also had really good actors in Evan Handler, who everybody knows from Sex and the City and uh, not, not yeah, Sex and the City and uh, Californication and uh, Giancarlo Esposito from Breaking Bad. I was rewatching the movie and I'm like, you know, every, it's it's obviously it's been 40 years. Right. And, right, yeah. and I'm watching the movie and I'm like, is that Giancarlo Esposito? I'm like, it looks like him a lot. And I went and looked it up and I'm like, holy cow, it was him. Yeah, it was that was one of his first roles, too. And then, yeah, almost all of us. It was either our first or second film. Giancarlo had won an Obie Award while we were while we were still filming uh, for a performance he'd given the year before off Broadway. Really, really good, good actors. And it was fun working with all of them, I will say. And th and then there was George C. Scott, who was a whole other a whole other league. So I'll talk about him in a minute. But Sean and Tom. And Tim and I, we sort of, the four of us hung around together. We bonded all during that film. And when the movie was over, I moved back to California. Sean was already living out here and Tom came out. And the three of us palled around a little bit for a couple of years. Do you still hang out or talk? Or if you bumped into each other, would it be like old times type thing? Or Probably that. I was closer to Sean. And his girlfriend at the time was Pam Springsteen. So we had a connection there. I knew Pam before uh, that. Tom was very career motivated. He didn't hang out with us that much. I remember when we came back to California, he had just gotten a two-picture a two picture deal. And I, I remember the number. It was $150,000 for two movies. You know, it's, that's what they pay him for lunch these days, right? And I ended up, I went with Tom. It was just the two of us going to see his movie called Losing It. It was called Tijuana something or other when he filmed it, but it was lose, Losing It with the no G, Losing It with Shelley Duvall, uh, Shelley Long, young guys going down to Tijuana to lose their virginity, basically, was the movie. Tom and I went to see it in Westwood. We were the only people in the theater besides maybe five people. It didn't have a premiere. It, it opened, we went to see the first show during the day, and it was what it was, you know, but it was, it was a film. I remember he had just gotten paid for his development deal, and he bought himself a... It was either a Bentley or a Rolls Royce. I can't remember. And it was used and it barely ran, but it was still a Rolls Royce and a Bentley. <laughs> and we came, and I, and I, but I drove, you know, I was also out of work actor. I drove here in my Toyota Corolla to go to see the movie. So we go see the movie. We come back out. We're heading towards the car and some fan from the movie came out to follow. And, uh, you know, love the film, you know, Tom, thank you. And then we started to get in my Corolla. Is that your car, Tom? And I, I'll never forget this because I wanted to hit him. He just sarcastically laughed like, yeah, right, and got in the car. I was like, well, thank you, Tom. It's the best I can do right now, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I got, uh, well, I might as well tell the story now. When Sean Penn got married to Madonna, uh, we all went to that wedding. Prior to that, when he was 
he was living out in LA. Someone had sent me a script to a movie called At Close Range. And I read it and they, and they sent it to me specifically so I could get it to Bruce Springsteen so he could okay having his music used for it. And I don't do that. We don't take advantage of friends and our family. So I didn't, you know, but I read the script and it was a fantastic script. I said to Sean, you have to option this. This is, you, you have to play this role. And he read it and he flipped over it and he said, all right, you know what? I will option it. I'll option it. You play this role. I can't remember the name of it. You play this role and I'll do the lead and uh, it'll be great. And I said, fantastic. So time goes by and I, I think, shouldn't this movie be starting? And I call him and he said, uh, the director thinks you're too old for the role. I said, oh, well, things happen. Okay. He said, I'll, I'll, we'll get you in something else. And I said, all right, fine. I go to Sean's wedding and I'm talking to Tom Cruise and Harold Becker from the Pet Taps who directed Taps. And this old guy walks up to us, not old guy, but older than me, comes up and introduces himself. Don't remember who it was. And he says, uh, and I say, how do you know Sean? He said, oh, I just filmed a movie with him. I said, oh, really? What role did you play? And he mentions my role. And Tom starts laughing at me because I got screwed out of the role for being too old, but this guy looked older than me, and the haha Billy got screwed. But so that was basically that. So it was like real funny. Later in the night, Tom comes up to me and says, oh, Billy, will you do me a favor? I couldn't park here because the paparazzi follow me all over the place. I parked a couple miles away and I took a cab here. Can you drive me to my car? Because no one's going to follow you. I like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so I said, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll get the car from the valet and I'll signal you. And then you come out, jump in the car and we'll, you know, I'll take you to your car. Nobody will bother you. He said, okay, great. I get my car from the valet. I signal to Tom. He runs out as he reaches for the door handle. I took off and I left him there surrounded by all the photographers snapping away at him. <laughs> it freaked him out to the point where he jumped in the very next car. He, didn't, he said, I didn't care whose it was. And he jumped in apparently Andy Warhol's limo. Nice. He was also at the wedding. And he called me up later on and, you know, he yelled at me. He was laughing, but he yelled at me for leaving him there. And then I said, well, Andy Warhol. And he said, yeah, he said it was very weird. No one in the entire limo talked to me. Not one word. They just stared at me like I was a painting until they dropped me off at my car. And then they drove away and never said a word to me. So I got even with them for laughing at me, basically, is what that was. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is so funny. So Harold Becker uh, also directed two of Madonna's videos because she did music for Vision Quest. He directed oh. Crazy For You and Gambler. I did not know that. He was a good director, really good director. He really worked with every actor in their own individual way. He knew, he certainly knew what he was doing. He also yelled at me one day. It was the first, only, and last time I was ever late on a set. They had a guy called a cadet coordinator, and he was in charge of all, this, all of us, the teenagers, whatever we were. And I was told I had the day off. So I had my car with me, and I drove two hours to go visit my family. And the next morning, I was not supposed to be in until, I don't know, seven o'clock at night. So I'm having dinner with my family, and I checked the the messages at the hotel and it says your call time is five minutes from now and I'm two hours away. So I jumped in the car and I made it there in an hour. So I'm wondering I didn't kill anybody. And I ran onto the set and everybody's just sitting there waiting for me. And they've been sitting there for an hour. And Harold Becker says, come here. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. And he screamed at me. It was my own fault, ultimately. But I was told I had the day off, so I didn't know. He said, he was, look at all these people. You've wasted all their time. I was like, okay, thank you. 
two seconds later, we shot the scene where I'm watching TV and Star Trek comes on. So if you watch that again, that's right after I got yelled at by Harold. And he had every right to yell at me, too. <laughs> and then you would go on to star in Star Trek, the motion picture. I had done Star Trek earlier. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was, Taps was like, that's right. Taps was your third movie. You're right. But the other, the other thing that scared me as, as, a, as a, whenever you're an actor, you want to be on film enough where they can't fire you, basically. You know, it's, that's not your ultimate goal, but that's what you're, it's in your mindset is like, oh, they can't fire me. I shot three scenes already. You know, the very first scene I was going to shoot was a very complicated scene out on the, on the quad there with trucks and cadets running and, and all this other stuff going on. And they announced to me the day before that I would be driving a two and a half ton army truck into the scene. I didn't drive a stick shift. I didn't had no clue what I was, what it would have, I didn't know how to do it. Night before, they took me out on the suburban windy roads of Valley Forge, Pennsylvania in a two and a half ton army truck. And that's where I learned to drive a stick shift. The next morning I show up on the set and I was like, oh my God, is this is going to be awful. They're going to fire me if I screw up this whole big scene. And they said, oh, well, by the way, you're not driving a two and a half ton army truck. I said, oh, thank God. I said, you're driving a Jeep. I was like, I, I didn't learn to drive in a Jeep. I only learned to drive in a big truck. They put me in the Jeep and they're Harold's pointing around of, you know, you're going to drive in from here and you stop here. And then the cadets will be running in here and then the big truck will come in this way. And, and I'm looking around all the different cameras that are set up thinking, I'm going to screw this up and they're going to fire me. It's my first day right before they shot. And I'm sweating it, looking at the thing going, you move the thing this way and I step on this. And they go, you know what? Uh, I don't want the noise of the Jeep over your dialogue. So put a rope on this. We'll drag it in. It's like, thank God. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> so that was my first day of shooting on that movie. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> hilarious. Has it been like kind of weird, surreal to like watch like a Sean Penn and Tom Cruise who were literally, I mean, when you fir first work with them on taps, they were just I mean, I, want, I don't want to say nobody's, but like, you know, this is their first foray. You know, anybody could have gone nowhere. They became biggest names in show business. The funny thing to me is it was a movie that starred Timothy Hutton and George C. Scott when I filmed it. Now it's a movie that stars Sean Penn and Tom Cruise. It's like Tim Hutton's a star, guys. Tim Hutton. I could see the talent. That's for sure. Did I know it was going to get this big? No, there's no, no way to know that. A very surreal moment for me was watching Jimmy Kimmel one night. President Obama was on and the opening person on was Sean Penn. So he comes out and he sits down and Jimmy, and I, I have no idea this is coming. And it's, it was so bizarre. Jimmy says, uh, is it true that you picked up Tom Cruise from the airport and took him on a tour of the stars homes when he first came out to LA? And Sean went into a huge story about me that I had this fixation on Lucille Ball because I love Lucy's what got me started in show business. And it was true, but I didn't expect to hear it the night the president is on TV and Sean told a story about how uh, I, Sean and I picked Tom up at the airport and then drove him straight to Lucille Ball's house because that was the one block in Beverly Hills. I said, Jimmy Stewart lives there. Jack Benny lives there. You know, and Lucille Ball is there. And the question was, why did you do that? And the answer was because anytime somebody came in from out of town, I always took him to that one block. It's the only one I knew. And I was obsessed with Lucille Ball and I wanted a meter. And I figured if you know, this is called, it was stalking now, back then it was just being a fan. I figured if you, if I drove to her house, one of these days she'd walk out of the house and I could meet her. Well, she didn't walk out of the house ever. I think her garage was inside. But anyway, Sean thought it was hilariously funny because it was so bizarre and Tom didn't know what the hell we were doing. But there was a uh, there was a good half hour period where Sean Penn, Tom Cruise and I were stalking Lucille Ball sitting out at the curb of her house waiting for her to come out. And uh, Sean told the story on uh, Jimmy Kimmel 
And I, I got a lot of, I got a lot of crap for it too. It's like, really, you sound like a psychopath. Well, I was, I guess. That's funny, but you love Lucy, so I do. It, it makes so. sense to me. I mean, I do. yeah. So Taps has two Oscar winners, and Timothy Hutton had just won the Oscar for Ordinary I, People. I remember him getting it in the middle of the shoot or middle of the rehearsals. I think it was the middle of the rehearsals. The, I remember he flew out to L.A. for it, and he came back, and he was an Oscar winner. The youngest win ever person to win an Oscar, at least that the Oscar category that he won, at oh. the time at least. And that was for Ordinary People, yeah. Yes. I would say he, he's, of, of all the the people on a shoot, he's probably the most normal, <laughs> the most normal guy who happened to act for a living. But it was funny to see. I remember Tom, Sean, and Tim and I went out to, it was either McDonald's or Burger King or one of those things one night. There's a girl behind, and everybody's fawning over Tim Hutton. He just won the Oscar. The one girl behind the counter, I see, you see somebody, you know, she's like, who's that? And somebody whispers to her and she, she made a face like, so what? And Sean looked at me and he went, wait. Just wait. I said, okay. We got our stuff. We went home. The next morning, that girl came out of Tim's dressing out of his hotel room. <laughs> the one who really, he could have cared less about. She's she's the one he's at home. Oh, that's so funny. That's uh, <laughs> uh, so. Did winning the Oscar sort of impact him, his psyche? I mean, just being on the set in terms of, or did it not phase him? Was he normal? I don't enough? think so. I think he was he was pretty normal about it. Yeah, he was pretty normal about it. It had to be during rehearsals because I remember Anthony Michael Hall was still in the cast at that point. Bizarre memory thought right there. But he was intimidated by George C. Scott, as was everybody, but he had to act with him. We didn't. That I know he, it was very intimidating to him. We didn't know who was playing that role of the general until probably two days before they shot. And I can't remember who else. They had mentioned somebody else. It was a good actor, too, but... As soon as it was George C. Scott, I was like, well, perfect. It's Patton. He's coming back here as Patton. Scott was intimidating just to just to stand next to the guy. You 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 didn't know where to look, you know. He was down the hall from us. He had the presidential suite. Remember that? Trish Vanderveer, his wife, came with him. Very pretty lady. And another guy came with them too. And this guy's job was to play chess with George C. Scott between takes. That was the guy's job. And I guess he took him on, on every on every set that he was on. So nobody really got to talk to George C. Scott because if he wasn't acting, he was moving moving pieces around a chessboard with this guy. And he, he was only with us for probably a couple days, maybe a week, shot what he did and then left. He's only in like the first third of the movie. He does the parade scenes with us and he has a, a scene with Tim. And oh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the guy's name. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, the the previous cadet um, major. Yeah, yeah. And then he bestows Timothy, the cadet major, and then he's in this, the scene where the, the dance. It gets shot. Yeah. I remember I, I shared an elevator with him at one day coming home from the set, and I couldn't, he didn't say anything to me. I didn't say anything to him. I just sort of froze until we got to the floor. We both got out, and he said, good night, good night. And that was it. That's too bad, because this is sort of like, well, when I say the middle of his career, I'm going by... Basically, IMDb, where Taps falls in the list, his long list of achievements. He's had a long list, so he would know what it would mean to be working with and be with George C. Scott. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he could have chosen to give you guys a different experience, I suppose, in the short time you had together. Yeah, uh, unless it, it very well could have been, it could have been a, a way he, he worked as an actor, too. He's the general, and he's maybe he wanted to keep that that way off camera too because it worked (laughs) (laughs) circling back to timothy hutton for a second he was nominated for best actor or taps 
Golden Globe, I think. Oh, was it a Golden Globe? He starred once again with Sean Penn and Falcon and Snowman. Mm-hmm. And this one, this was a piece of trivia that I found, which I found amazing, is that he directed the music video Drive by the Cars, which is one of my favorite songs and videos. Did not know that. I know. That's why I'm coming to the table, Billy, with a lot of extra trivia. I know that he was a, uh, like me, he was a Frank Sinatra fan because he drove his car cross country to come do the show. And all he had in it was Sinatra, blaring Sinatra all the time. (laughs) (laughs) For Sean Penn, you mentioned you were at Madonna's wedding. Did you make it to uh, the Robin Wright wedding? I did not. You know, life goes on, you go different ways. But uh, I I probably spent, I don't know, we did that movie in what, 81? Probably six years. He was always going off to do films and stuff. I know when he broke up with Madonna... He called me. I'm, I'm the friend people call when, you know, instead of talking to a priest, they call me, you know. So he, he called up and he had, had just been in the news, you know. I, I don't even know what he had done, tied her to a chair or something and left the house. I don't remember. He called me up and said, can you have dinner with me tonight? I really want, you know, this just happened and I don't want to talk. I said, yeah, sure. So I remember meeting him at Dan Tana's restaurant, thinking that he wanted to unburden all this stuff. And then suddenly Dennis Hopper comes in, Seymour Casal comes in. About 15 guys come in and it just turned into a bachelor party is what it was. I was like, I guess he doesn't want to talk about this stuff. Okay, fine. So, uh, <laughs> so I didn't have to, I didn't have to act like a priest that night. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, oh, you know whose name we haven't mentioned yet? Ronnie Cox. The nicest guy in the world. I love this guy. And he went out of his way and this meant so much to me because, you know, everybody was, by the time the movie opened, great actor, if only from Deliverance, great actor. But in this movie, I thought he was great too. He went out of his way the night of the premiere to seek me out to tell me how great a performance he thought I gave. And that meant so much to me because, honestly, you know, by the time that film opened, Tim, Sean, Tom, that was all people were talking about. But he went out of his way to, to make me feel, you know, really good about what I'd done. And it, it was it was really nice. And I've and seen him a couple of times at Harold Becker's office uh, after that. But man, he was, he was, he is a great, great guy. Really I think he's guy. doing a lot of music now. Oh, is that right? So it's nice to know that he's so nice because, you know, you, you watch him in uh, RoboCop or you know, like Total Recall. <laughs> he's got an edge to his character. Yeah. It's nice to hear that he's so nice. It's funny when I was watching, rewatching the movie and I remember watching it a lot. I'd seen it a lot. It, when it came out in cable, when cable was new and movies would replay a thousand times. I remember always feeling a little disturbed by the movie. You know what I mean? Just, well, because it was oh, yeah. mostly Tom Cruise's character. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm surprised, like, Tom Cruise was a psycho in that movie. <laughs> like a yeah. psycho. Yeah, he was. He was. <laughs> it, rewatching it, I'm thinking to myself, it's funny because as Sean Penn and Tom Cruise are fighting, I'm like, oh, Sean Penn would have been a great psycho. Like Sean Penn, you could see, but I mean, based on, you know, hindsight, of course, but like, right, 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 right. But Sean Penn could have easily just snapped in that movie, but he was the sane one. He was the most sane one of the entire group besides uh, like, you know, you and Evan Handler, but you know, and Evan Handler's character eventually left. I love Evan Handler. And it was, it was funny seeing him with hair. <laughs> I've never seen yeah. him with hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We almost, uh, I forget what they made him do in the script. At one point, and I didn't know this when I took the role, all the power gets cut off in the in the academy from the people on the outside to try and get us to, to leave. And it said, you know, a cadet is you know doing this, a cadet is doing this, a cadet is in the shower, the water goes off. And then 
one that morning, Carol Becker, the director, says to me, oh, Billy, uh, you'll be taking the shower. I said, I will not be taking the shower. <laughs> what are you talking about? He said, well, you know, we need to, you, you'll, you'll take a shower and the water will go out. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to undress and be on film. I said, I'll brush my teeth, but I'm not taking a shower. And he said, you know, it takes more of an actor to brush his teeth than it does to take a shower. So yes, you do that. It made no sense. Giancarlo Esposito got stuck taking the shower and I brushed my teeth. Well, you don't just brush your teeth. It's like a five minute scene where you're, I mean, they could use that scene in, in dentist office. <laughs> it's, like, it's not like a five second. It's not like a one second brush, brush. It's like. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Giancarlo Esposito uh, does not fare well after you guys trying to put the power back on. Well, the interesting thing there, and I guess this was done for effect and it worked. They told us, you know, they had the stunt coordinator, the stunt man, and we turn on the furnace and he goes on fire. What they told us was that his arm was going to go in fire. That's all they said. And we go and shoot the scene and his entire body goes up in flames. And we thought the stunt man was killed. Ouch. And so they got, a, they got a real reaction. And I could tell that they sort of did it on purpose. Just, you know, I think it was just me and Brendan Ward. It was a nasty little trick to play on me but uh it was good it's a, it's a <laughs> it jolting good. scene i mean when he because he just goes up in flames i mean like yeah. his entire body's in flames and then he's out yeah. on the stretcher i assume he lives they don't like but um but oof, yeah that's yeah that's a rough rough scene yeah <laughs> it's a rough scene when the the boy runs for the young boy runs for the um oh, for the gate for the gate i'm trying to remember his name he was he didn't do much acting after it but he, he was in uh he was in uh vacation <laughs> He was the cousin. Oh, uh, Na- uh, John Navin. John P. Navin. 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 Yeah. Really nice kid. Really nice kid. He was funny. He was a funny kid, too. Yeah, he and uh, Brendan Ward were our, the two young guys, uh, and they were good together. They were really good together. Yeah, Brendan did a great job. Rest in peace. I mean, in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let me let me think. Uh, let me see if I have what else I have here, because I have so many, like, notes. All right, so George C. Scott was just good for... Okay, so here, the screenplay I have was written by Robert Mark Kamen. I think he may have either done an early draft or did a rewrite. It was basically Daryl Ponixon. Oh, okay. Well, according to IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be right. I, I, Darryl, I remember. Oh, here, Daryl. The only uh, script yeah, I got said Daryl Ponixon on it. You know what? They both are listed on IMDb as screenwriters. Oh. Okay. I must have just grabbed this guy's name. Because the interesting thing about Robert Mark Kamen is that the he created the Karate Kid fr- franchise. It, it's basically really? based on his life. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And the Taken franchise. And the Taken franchise. So you have to do anything to do with Cobra Kai? Well, you know, interesting. I thought you might ask, so I looked that up too. He gets a characters created by, which I assume is, I assume there's money in characters created by. You would know. You bet there is. (laughs) You bet there is. I bet he's just cashing checks. He owns a winery, I guess, now. He used some of his early money to to make wine. So he's probably just uh, what we call living the good life. Mm Mm-hmm. I was thinking now, like all these actors, these famous movie actors that you worked with that went on to movie fame while you focused on TV. I was thinking uh, with the turn of TV these days, they're all going to be crawling back to you. (laughs) That was my plan. I feel like one day Sean and Tom are going to be like, I need one of those shows. I need a show. (laughs) 
That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for Sean to get to make it up for me to, for that movie that he screwed me out of. But uh, <laughs> I feel like that would that would be the the thing where like you know Tom comes to you and he's like, I need I need a show. You know, Glenn Close did it. Everyone, all the big names are doing it. We gotta exactly. So they're all gonna come <laughs> back to you. <laughs> it's all gonna come for a full circle. <laughs> Yeah, so I know we talked earlier about the movie Father Sky that this is based on. That guy turned that move that book around pretty quick. I mean, I think it was bought and turned into a movie within years of him publishing it. I don't even think it was out oh. yet. What I read about the book was that it, it delves a little deeper into the psychology which creates the loyalty for which people were willing to kill or die, which is uh is basically hmm. what the movie's about, but I've never read it. I I should I, I never I think you can get weird. It. Yeah, you can just Google Father Sky. Yeah. Go from there. Do you have any um, other hotel shenanigans stories? Because I found from talking to you and mm -hmm. when we talked about Jaws 2 and then even like Candy Clark, when we ta I talked to her once about American Graffiti, some of the best stories happen at the hotel that everyone stays at. It's true. Uh, what happened at our hotel? Well, every Sunday, Tom's mother would bring a basket of chicken or pie or whatever it was with his sisters and they'd come visit. So we'd all, we always had uh, good food on Sundays. We really, we, we took over the hotel. Prior to us being there, I remember Glenn, the, the, the hotel staff said Glenn Campbell and Tanya Tucker had destroyed the presidential suite. That's that I remember. And now George C. Scott was in there. There was an awful lot of uh, like baseball in the hallway. Uh, Sean, uh, Tim's room became uh, party central. Uh, every local girl in town was in that room, I think. I don't just mean sleeping with her. I just mean it was a party. I can't remember who it was, but somebody, there was a lot of drinking uh, on the weekends. And I remember somebody had to, you know, turn somebody on their side so they didn't choke to death kind of thing. But I don't remember who that was. Giancarlo stayed away from everybody. He was too mature to deal with this, you know, the silliness. Oh, and I was, oh, that's right. I was dating the casting girl. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Very lovely lady. I did a cruel thing to her, though. Somebody, it was somebody, we hadn't actually been dating yet. And we were just flirting with each other. And I remember somebody saying it was their birthday and she gave him a, a big kiss. So the next day I told her that my birthday was Thursday or something, you know. And what she then did, I was just expecting to get a, a kiss on, on my birthday. Instead, they had a big cake for me on the set and it, it, was, it was like a big deal. And I felt like such a schmuck. So the next day I, I sent, I must have sent like five dozen roses to her, <laughs> to her office. And, and we started dating right after that. So I guess it all worked out. There you go. That yeah. works out. Yeah. As you look back on 40 years, mm. all fond memories. Yeah. You know, there's maybe one or two scenes I'd like to redo because you sort of know more as you go. And, and it's a very intimidating thing to go from the theater into film because it's so easy to overact, you know, if you still think you're performing for balconies and stuff. So my tendency, in, even in Jaws 2, was to pull back, and, and which is a smart thing to do. But I think I pulled back a little too much at times. I did change one thing they were going to do. The scene where Sean comes in and finds me, is that towards the end of the movie, finds me in front of the, the radio and he doesn't know where anybody is and all this sort of thing. It was in the script that I was supposed to destroy the entire room. And I said to Harold Becker, it comes out of left field. It feels weird. I don't want to do it. <laughs> you know. And he said, he thought about it. He went, you're right. Take it really. And I was like, okay, good. And I like the way the scene turned out, because I think if I had suddenly been trashing things, people in the audience would go, why is that guy doing that? <laughs> you know? Who else was in there that I liked? Wayne Tippett, as, uh, as Tim's father, was quite good. I ran into him in L.A. years later. Uh, he still looked exactly the same. 
Oh, and Jeff Rockland. I can't remember what character's name was. He's a heavy guy with glasses. Jeff Rockland was Shovel. Shovel, that's it. Really nice kid. That was definitely his first movie, too, because of Facebook, where we keep in touch every once in a while. So it's been it's been fun. Facebook's been a pretty good thing in terms of uh, reacquainting yourself with people you performed with a hundred years ago, you know? And then what eventually happened to Donald Kimmel, who gave his role to Tom Cruise? He went back to the theater, mostly where he had been from, and uh, still still performing, I believe. And um, he had a very nice career. He just didn't happen to have it on film. Do you think he's got like an anti-shrine to Tom Cruise and woo? <laughs> <laughs> he swears, at, uh, swears at Tom Cruise in his basement in this secret room. That he <laughs> sure, he doesn't watch Mission Impossible the same way the rest of us do. That's for sure. <laughs> Come on, Tom, cast him. Yo, yo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so funny. He came in to audition for me uh, for one of my off-Broadway shows. I just remember that. It was silent laughter. I did a, a silent movie, a silent slapstick comedy live on stage. And he was he came in to audition for that. I, uh, I forgot about that. So no sequels? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> taps too, more taps. I encourage everyone to go rewatch it and rediscover the movie. I rewatched it recently and the movie holds up. You know, not all movies hold up. But this movie yeah. definitely holds up. It feels right. It feels good. That All the acting is incredible. You know, when you think about all the names, they were all bringing it. You and all the yeah. crew were bringing it even back then, even how new new everybody was. It's just such an amazing cast. Such a great yeah. movie. So what's going on with you now, Billy Van Zant? What, what are you up to? Well, the, now that the pandemic is ending, get back to what we were doing. We were uh, I'm touring around with my musical review called uh, The Boomer Boys Musical which is four middle-aged guys uh, joking about the changes that men go through when you hit a certain age. And uh, we did that for about two years before the pandemic hit. And we're starting up again in February in Palm Springs. And then we go off to Connecticut and New York, New Jersey, Texas. And that's all I can remember right now. Uh, so that's been good. And I wrote another book. When's the new book come out? Still playing with that. I'm not sure. It's called The Cracker Jack Man. And it's a novel based oh. on a true story from... Uh, baseball history that nobody has ever heard of that I discovered and went, this is fantastic. This story is fantastic. So I'm just finishing that up now. And what else am I doing? I must be doing something else. I always do 12 things at once. I'm starting another book along the lines of this one, except I'm going to talk about uh, all the all the plays, uh, the breakdown of how they all have put together and the backstage stories and all that stuff. And that's enough. And I just got married. So that's keeping me busy, too. And we're looking to move. So I'm looking for houses and stuff like that. Congratulations on your marriage. Thank you. My pleasure. My final thought is with the Cracker Jack man, you call mm -hmm. up Sean Penn. <laughs> you say, I got a great role for you. And then I'll recast it at the last second. And then you never talk to him again. <laughs> That's really good. That's really good. I can't thank you enough for hanging with me a third time. It means a lot. It really does. My pleasure. Good seeing you. Thank you so much. All right. How awesome was Billy Van Zant? Raise your hand if you haven't seen the movie Taps in a while. I see you. Your homework is to go watch Taps. Wait a minute, Jeff. I thought the Thursday bonus episodes are the episodes where you tell us stuff to watch or the Wednesday live show, Crossing the Streams. Normally, yes. But this is the special episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. 
And since we focused on the movie Taps, I'm going to suggest you go and watch it. Amazing performances from everyone. George C. Scott, Timothy Hutton, Billy Van Zandt, Sean Penn, Tom Cruise, everyone we mentioned. So many great stories. Can't thank Billy enough. And doing yet another movie retrospect on the podcast with me. Well, as we near the end of the show, you know, that can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time for another trending hashtag from the world of hashtag roundup. Download your very own hashtag roundup app at the Google or Apple Play Store. Play along. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Jawaskin Show. Fame and fortune await you. This week's hashtag, keeping with the theme of the show, we went with hashtag enlist a movie or show in the military from Wag Your Tags, a weekly show on hashtag Roundup. Hashtag enlist a movie or show in the military is the ultimate military mashup with a TV show or movie title. That's right. You take a movie title and give it a military spin. And that's how you end up with hashtag enlist a movie or show in the military. It'll be just like you were in the movie taps. All right, let's read some of these hashtag enlist a movie or show in the military mashup tweets. Shaved by the bell. King of the drill sergeant. These are awesome mashup hashtag enlist a movie or show in the military tweets. How I court martialed your mother. The fantastic Mr. Foxhole. Kids in the mess hall. Captain American Pie, thank you for smoking. About face-off, Air Force of Nature, the Sandra Bullock, Ben Affleck, classic. Lord of the Flyboys, Uncle Buck Private, Three Men and a Little Navy, Lieutenant Grant. (laughs) You can see Lieutenant Grant on a previous episode of Live from Detroit. Good luck, Alpha Charlie. These are awesome. Hashtag enlist a movie or show in the military tweets. Bad Boys of Company C. Bad Boys starring Sean Penn, who was also in Taps. Full Metal Jacket. Two Corporals, a Lieutenant, and a Pizza Place. And our final hashtag enlist, a movie or show in the military tweet. At easy, writer. Ha <laughs> ha. Those are great. Tweet one of your very own hashtag enlist, a movie or show in the military tweets. Tag us at Jeff Dewaskin Show. I'll retweet it. I'll like it. I'll do something. In the meantime, all these tweets I just read are retweeted at Jeff Tawaskin Show on Twitter. Definitely check them out. Retweet them and show them some love. Well, with the hashtag reading over, it can only mean one thing. Episode 88 has come to a close. How do these go by so fast? I do want to thank my special guest, Billy Van Zant, for spending time with me and digging into the memory banks and helping us celebrate the 40th anniversary of the movie Taps. And of course, I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me, and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.